Hey, this is Leslie, host of the Rogue Ones podcast. Thank you for listening to this show. You know, I did this limited series in 2018 and 2019. The world was a wildly different place, but knowing that people are still listening to it now and benefiting from these stories brings immense satisfaction. So thank you. If you want to keep up with my own rogue adventures, you can follow me on Substack. Yes, I have one too. An easy link to find that is leslieethompson.com slash Substack. I write on there frequently, but then I'll also post audio vignettes that don't fit into a typical podcast framework. I've been busy, and I bet you have been too, Rogue One. So thanks for tuning in, and I hope to hear from you soon. Now, here's the episode, and I hope you enjoy. You're listening to the Rogue Ones podcast, conversations with extraordinary people doing fascinating things that will encourage us to live with a bend toward the remarkable. Today's conversation is with a singer-songwriter in Nashville with a story about losing her voice and finding it again. Well, greetings, one and all. This is your host, Leslie Eiler-Thompson, and I'd like to welcome you to the Rogue Ones podcast. You can find out more about this podcast and all its episodes at rogueonespodcast.com. This is the first conversation of the Rogue Ones podcast, and it was the very first interview I conducted. The first attempt at capturing a special moment in time with a truly unique human being, Jordan Shellhart. Because you're going to be listening to a deep cut of this podcast, the audio in the conversation isn't the best, but I promise it's worth listening to. So enjoy this conversation with Jordan Shellhart. begin with talking about a time that Jordan and I took a random road trip to Anderson, Indiana. We had dinner right before a show we were going to. It was this adorable little diner. So we're going to plop in right when we're talking about what we ate at the diner. Mm-hmm. Over tuna melts or something? You know what I'm talking about? What were those things? It was beef, but the particular brand of bread is different and it's like a, like a French, like a hoagie. Nope. Dang it. Man, ciabatta? No. Focaccia? Let's come back to this. Non. Okay. You want to tell them a little bit about your background? So you moved from California. I did. I was born in Wyoming and uh, lived in California until I was 10, Northern California, Santa Rosa. Moved to Nashville with my mom and my brother, and uh, we moved here for my music. I started just, you know, playing and whatever, trying to learn learn how to do it, and I signed a publishing deal with Seagale uh, Music in 2009, I think. I was 14. So next year is 10 years. Yeah, I'm in my ninth year oh right now, gosh. which is crazy. Um, can't believe that. But yeah, so I signed the publishing deal, and then I briefly had a record deal with Sony when I was 15, and that was a whole thing, and I've been writing at Seagale ever since. So we're at this diner. We started talking in about just musically things that we had done. But what was the thing for you that um, kind of changed your your music trajectory in your teens and your whole kind of outlook on everything? I uh, was pretty much in the thick of the having a record deal situation, and then I lost my voice. Talking was difficult. Singing was more difficult. It was it's sort of a it's a condition called spasmodic dysphonia, which causes a tremor. So even when I was speaking, there would be times when it was sort of like like that wow. like a tremor um the record deal stopped mm-hmm. did you find a greater focus on your songwriting after that like yeah 
I basically lost touch with all my co-writers. Not all of them, but most of them. And it was, it, my voice started to come back when I was about 19, 18 or 19. I started getting my voice back and started trying to write more. And I didn't really have anybody to co-write with that I had kept in touch with. So it sort of made me learn how to write by myself. Mm-hmm. Which was a really huge turning point for me as a writer. And I... Uh, figured out really what I was artistically. I had no idea before that. I mean, I had an idea, but when you're forced to like, all right, this is all down to you. What do you bring to the table yeah. when there's nobody there to like help shape that? Right. I uh, really discovered my voice, I think, in more than one way. Now that you know more about Jordan and her story, I'd like to take us back to that conversation at the diner again. And we start talking about a song by the name of Indiana was written by a man named John McLaughlin, who we are actually in Indiana to see that night. So the one, the song that I referenced earlier that both of us kind of lost our mm-hmm. hats over, um, there's a song on, on this record. The record's called Indiana. Well, title track is Indiana. And we've been talking for weeks beforehand about this song. You know, it's got this line, I'm glad she never fell in love with me. This is a repeating hook. And you get this feeling that he he lost a relationship and it could have been a really good relationship, but he's trying to talk himself out of the fact that it was going to happen. But there are these, there are a couple lines that are just a little mysterious. Like what happened with this relationship? And I know I went into it going, I can't wait till he explains this song because we'll finally know what happened with this relationship. So he's explaining it. We're sitting there, he's explaining Indiana and he sat down to write this song and the girl was music. Mm-hmm. And both of us sighed. Like, I remember each of us going, oh, like almost air out of our lungs because it was this realization that music can be a relationship and we can hurt each other. And so I think that was a huge conversation for both of us. And that was what your blog was about. Yeah, I thought it was really powerful that he had decided in that moment to quit. And he was like, all right, how am I going to justify this to everybody back home? Um, I'm quitting how do I just get over it? And that's such an easy way to do that is to say, you know what? I'm glad that never happened. Mm. Um, and I was really familiar with that. So seeing it, the blog that I wrote, it sort of shook that for me being like, okay, why am I so scared to say that I wanted it and it didn't happen? And why am I so scared now to say that I still want it with the risk that it won't happen? And it's just this thing that we build on our pride where we're like, eh, that wouldn't have been good anyway, so thank God that didn't work. And then now to be, like, in a situation where you're still trying to make something happen, but if you're already preparing to say that, if you're already preparing for the I'm glad she never fell in love with me, Hmm. um, then you're not really giving it your all. You know, you as a songwriter are constantly opening yourself up to vulnerability. And I think that's something as creators and as artists for us to think about is are we already copping out and are we already making excuses for what we haven't done yet you know because yeah, it's scary and it's painful when it doesn't work mm-hmm. and we're bracing ourselves because it's a long shot it's a pipe dream let's be real i just read the book outliers by malcolm gladwell which i'm saying to every person i have run across in the last like two weeks <laughs> um because it's huge and i'm also 10 years behind because that book came out in 2008 it does two things it motivates you to become a greater version of who you are, but then it also gives you grace to say there are some things that you absolutely cannot control. Someone once said, um, you have a right to your labor, but you do not have a right to the fruits of your labor. We do a great disservice to ourselves as artists and to the next generation of artists 
when we continually perpetuate the idea that our art is ours and that we own it. And so however good it is, I mean, like you look at some of the top pop acts, I'm thinking Bruno Mars right now, because you watch him on stage and he's probably one of the best pop performers like right now. Totally across the board. Right. But what, who are the hundreds of people from, from wardrobe Mm -hmm. to producers who advised on arrangement of tune, like Mm -hmm. all that stuff, who are all the people that played into that? Mm -hmm. Our art is not purely ours at the end of it, you know? Yeah. So nitty gritty of, just a difficult conversation because a lot of times we like to talk about art and we like to talk about doing the best art. Mm. We also need to live and like eat and (laughs) pay bills and stuff. And how do you, I mean, how does that play itself out in your life? Like, in paying the bills. <laughs> yeah, paying bills and... Well, I'm so incredibly thankful to my publishers who have stuck by me since I was 14. I'm not making a ton of money, but I'm I'm willing to sacrifice uh, a lot of creature comforts for hmm. what I'm doing because, you know, it's easier for me. I'm not married and I don't have children and yeah. I'm, you know, I'm 23 and I can just kind of do my thing, but it's... To me, I don't really have um, the ability or the desire to do anything else. Hmm. I, I I didn't go to college because I had a publishing deal already, yeah. and yeah. I spent my whole life knowing I was doing this, so I didn't really develop any other skill set at all. Um, mm-hmm. And I get nervous in settings where I'm not comfortable or where I don't know what I'm doing, and I don't even like to like <laughs> I don't even like to go there. So getting a real job would just be like my nightmare so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um yeah I'm either going to succeed at music or I'm going to succeed at music mm-hmm. <laughs> those are sort of the options I have yeah. because I just really have written my life in a way that I don't have anywhere else to really lean. something you said that was so true and people don't talk about it enough is it's like comes down to choice like you mm-hmm. said you you sacrifice a lot of creature comforts mm-hmm. and I think that that's huge like we don't talk enough about priorities and and I'm learning now that you do have to make your priorities and you make your choices. I mean, I am not a school person. I went to school, but it was very painful and very yeah. difficult. And, like, studying was not fun. Yeah. So, like, I didn't choose, like, we obviously we didn't choose to be doctors or anything. Like, right. we, or engineers or smart people thinks. Like, we did what we love to do. Someone told me once that they said it in the wrong way. They said it in the totally wrong way. And I think I might have told you this before, but they said it's a really good thing you can do something other than music. Hmm. And this was somebody that was actually very musically, just very well established Mm -hmm. and said that to me. And I had a, like a massive meltdown. I secluded myself, cried quite a bit. Did it feel like he was saying, because you weren't good enough to do it? Right. Yes. I felt like what was said to me was you are not good at music, so it's a really great thing you have something else mm-hmm. because you're, you would never make it. Uh-huh. That was what I heard. Yeah. You will never make it. But I felt like my whole life I had been waiting for somebody who knew something to say to me, yes, keep going. Uh-huh. Or you know what? Just make it a hobby. Yeah. But that's not how it works. Much to my surprise, after I cried my eyes out for 15 minutes, I came back and looked in the mirror and I still that little flicker of whatever it was, was still there. Mm -hmm. Now, I know what he was saying to me was not that. What he was saying to me was, 
there are people in this world who can't do anything other than music, Mm -hmm. himself being one of them. And I think young musicians, you know, like when they're in their teens, like, yeah, nurture that gift, nurture that skill. Mm -hmm. But if you are really also good at like a basket weaving, (laughs) perhaps maybe even nurture the basket weaving because the gig will end eventually. Yeah, it doesn't have to be all or nothing for everybody. Right, right. It works out that way sometimes for some people. Yeah, which is wonderful. I think it's just a matter of knowing that you are where you're meant to be and knowing that, like, we were all genuinely created differently Mm -hmm. and for different purposes. And I think think that when I see some people that I grew up with even who are – as talented and as capable as I have ever been mm-hmm. with music. Mm-hmm. And they chose to go to college and become a teacher or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And it's there's no part of me that thinks, well, it's because I was just more talented, more mm-hmm. gifted. I'm just better. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just that I somehow ended up doing it every day and, like, huh. sticking with it. And, you know, there's something to be said for practice and time spent. You, you definitely evolve at a different rate than someone who's not doing it mm-hmm. all the time. But... Um, it's not because we started out with a baseline, like, talent difference, I don't think. Obviously, some people are not musically inclined. Those people I'm not Sure, talking. sure, I'm sure, right. Those of us who, who were musical kids, who yeah. were writing songs as children and making stuff up and singing and doing the thing and playing instruments. Did you choose to do it or did you choose to do something else? Mm-hmm. Well, and that's when our, our conversation in the diner, that faded day, right. one of the, the things that I brought up was that I went to New York for this callback for this national tour and I realized while I was there even if they would have offered me the gig I think I would have said no because mm-hmm. it just with the choices I've made so far in life I have a marriage that yeah. I love and I want to keep yeah you know healthy and right. if I had done that it would have really 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 been bad yeah. um and it probably would have affected my ability to perform right. in that role you know um but I realized it is a choice and these mm-hmm. girls that I were in the that I was in the um like the dressing room area with, mm-hmm. I had a mass amount of respect for them. And, them. and there was a moment where it all just kind of washed over me because these girls are broke. Mm-hmm. They are babysitting, uh, waitressing, mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. But they have made the choice to go to this place where they are going to be broke. Mm-hmm. But for them, it is, they must. They must, exactly. they must do it. Um and that was when I realized this, whatever this is, this musical theater thing, I don't need to do it like they do because um, mm-hmm. I'm not willing to sacrifice all things right. to come up here and live this lifestyle because you kind of have to. I could make that decision and perhaps go on to do, quote, great things, but... What is great? Exactly. Something can be great without the whole world watching it happen. I definitely think in Western society we elevate uh, something that is being exposed to the masses over something that happens in the home. But ultimately, that's why I think that our foundation has to be set on something sturdier than that. You you bring up a good sort of um, overall disclaimer is that we come from this from a Christian perspective. It colors the way we, we see priorities. And I don't want to assume that everybody else sees that way. You no, know, in fact, we don't, we don't, we don't, um, we aren't supposed to assume that everyone thinks the way that we do. Definitely not. I think it's comforting and challenging on this at the same time and um, extremely validating to believe that you're fulfilling a purpose mm-hmm. and that it might look different than what the world says is mm. 
is great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it can still be great. So, yeah, I think this is a cool conversation because this, this podcast is essentially I just like to sit down with rogues who um, I, I just think are, are doing some really cool thinking and are doing great work. And I'm honored that you are my first guest. This is so fun. Me too. You know, this idea of being a rogue, I think is, I'm making it into a thing, which do we need to make it into a thing? Probably not, it's, but whatever. It is we a are. thing. We are rogues in a way. We're kind of going, I see everybody else doing this, but I'd actually like to do something else. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And off we go. Um, despite not having, what was it you said? The common, the casual, the, the, mm, the Jason Isbell line. Creature comforts. Creature comforts. Mm-hmm. Despite like not feeling totally fulfilled in, or art or whatever, mm-hmm. we still persist, mm-hmm. and off we go. I'm going to stop the conversation there. Uh, of course, as you might imagine, Jordan and I spoke for hours after this. Uh, we spoke about Enneagrams, we spoke about personality tests. It was a lot of fun. But for this purpose, I think I'm going to wrap us up. Uh, I want to thank Jordan for the time that she spent talking with me and exploring this idea of dreams. And as artists, how do we pursue our dreams? Before we depart, I want to take a moment to point out the description of this podcast. There's a link to the song Jordan and I talk about earlier. The song is Indiana by John McLaughlin, so be sure to check that out. If you liked this episode, I think you'd enjoy my conversation with Monica Padman, co-host and producer of Dax Shepard's Armchair Expert podcast and creative partner for the one and only Kristen Bell. We talked just a few months after Armchair Expert launched to wild success, and since then, it has won several podcast awards. Find her episode and more at rogueonespodcast.com. Thank you for listening today, whether you're on a walk, in your car, or perhaps cleaning your house. We'll see you next time on the Rogue Ones Podcast. Mm-hmm.